0: So that'll be that. So, Um, Let's pray, and we'll look into God's word this morning. God, we've already acknowledged that you're here, the Lord of heaven's armies. That's you, the leader of the armies of heaven. You're here among us. And um, we've acknowledged that we want to be people who have souls that are grounded in peace and joy and confidence in your goodness toward us. So now as we look into your word, we know it's not, an, it's not simply an academic an endeavor. It's an endeavor that requires the work of your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Whatever you want us to see and whatever you want us to hear. And then give us the courage, God, and the grace, the work of you in our lives, to do what you're asking us to do, to become the people we know you've asked us and designed us to be. And that is full of the life and the power that come from you alone. That's who we want to be, and that's why we do what we do here to listen to you, and to study, and to uh, see what you're telling us to do. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, opening question. Let's put it up here on the screen. Would your life be different if you prayed more? All right? This is not about guilt. I'm not trying to guilt people. Um, it's not about, you know, shame or anything. But would your, if you prayed more, would your life be different? Would your marriage be better? Uh, Would your financial picture be better? Would you have more joy, more peace, more courage? Of course, we know the answer to those questions is supposed to be yes. But then the question following that is, so why don't we pray more? And I'm I'm putting myself in that we. Why don't we pray more than we do? And I'm talking whether it's your personal, individual time of praying or how you think about that or even corporately. Because we know... The answer to this question is, well, yes, it'd be different. Of course it would be different. It's supposed to be different, right? Isn't that what prayer is about? something that changes things. But even though the answer to that is the assumed yes, we also acknowledge, but why don't I then pray more? So there's this gap of, well, I know in my head, yes, it makes a difference, but I also, I look at my habits and my what I feel in my heart and in my body and my doesn't always cooperate with what I, th- at least I think is true, that somehow prayer matters. Because we do believe it matters. Again, I think we all would check that box on a multiple choice test. Does prayer matter? Does it make your life better? Yes, check. Yes, true. We would all check that. But yet if we were to audit our daily habits and our daily life, I'm not sure that our daily habits and life would affirm that same reality. And again, I'm putting myself in this same box. So we've been doing a series, go to the next slide, doing a series called Change. The A in Change is the Greek letter Delta, which is the symbol for change. Um, Subtitle, Spiritual Habits Enable Us to Become the Life-Giving People Jesus Knows Who We Can Be. And we've talked about, uh, one week we talked about fasting and practical habits of fasting and why you would even do that and how that makes a difference. And Talked about reading the Bible or studying the Bible and why we do that and how that makes a difference. It's not simply a check off the list and earn points with God thing, but something happens when we practice some of these habits. So, a couple of things, again, I'll just highlight. Go, go to the next slide. So, the whole point is how do we become the kind of change? How do we become the kind of people who do the very things Jesus said we could do and should do? These are all quotes from the mouth of Jesus. Mouth of Jesus mostly from the Sermon on the Mount, other places as well. So these are the commands of Jesus. And Jesus said, this is what we should be doing, and this is what we can be doing. But yet, if you read through that list, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, heal the sick, don't be afraid, go and be reconciled, give to those in need, love one another. We know, at least I know, those don't come naturally to me. It's, it's yes, I know those are behaviors, I, I know I should do those things. But Christianity is not a religion ruled by shoulds and obligations. Otherwise, it's just it's burdensome. But how do you become the kind of person, how do you change the core of your being to become a person who those things become natural to you? They're not like behaviors you have to be trained to do. You have to be trained in terms of how you think about it, but they're things forgiving someone who hurts you becomes an easier task. Still, still challenging, but it's not. Giving financially generously becomes something that you do without pressure or obligation or guilt. Loving others, lo- love one another, especially those who are hard to love. You can do that. You don't find yourself constantly judging people down the sidewalk about who has weird shoes or who looks stupid. You find yourself being generous in your spirit, just as we understand that Jesus would be. How do we become those kind of people. That's what change is about. So what we've talked about a couple, two things. Go to the next. So we're talking about prayer, spiritual habit of praying, and this is not the only Sunday we'll talk about that because I think the prayer thing will will show up a few other times. So go to the next slide. A couple things that I've highlighted. I'll just rehighlight. And this phrase is a phrase I use: actively passive, because part of spiritual habits is we have to we do things to a point, and then we have to trust God to do the work. And the example I've used is, you know, like, I'll use an example when I had my knee replaced, all right? I had to be active in getting all the things arranged, call the doctor, go to the appointment, show up, show up for an MRI, I had to be active, I had to show up for the day of surgery, I had to be very active in putting myself in a situation where I was laying in that bed, and then the doctor says, I'm gonna turn on the IV, and you're not gonna feel anything for a long time. Well, then I'm passive and the doctor has to do his work. But I had, to, I had responsibility to put myself in that situation where I could be worked on by the doctor. That's what spiritual habits are. There are things we do. I, I cannot do my own knee replacement. Nobody can. But there are things we do that put ourselves in a situation where God can then do what he wants to do in us to bring about change and transformation. So I call that being actively passive because there's two extremes. I can be active thinking... My salvation and my change is all about me, and I've got to work harder and do better and behave more. And and then it becomes this legalistic, pharisaical thing. It's all my responsibility. I've got to do more. And then there's the passive option, where I just sit in the lazy boy of my life and think, well, when God wants to do something, he'll come get me. Well, both those extremes, neither one of them lead to the change that we want. But there is this actively passive kind of approach where we have responsibility in how God wants to change our lives. Next, next kind of overarching mindset, I just put supernatural change down there. and, I, and I, a, Christianity at its core is a supernatural religion. It's not a moralistic religion. It's not a behavioral religion. It's not a political religion. It's not an American religion. It's not a Western religion. At its core, Christianity is about supernatural change. Otherworldly change. So... For me to become someone who used to be enslaved to a certain sin and am not anymore, it's not simply behavioral training like Pavlov's dog. Something supernatural comes into me and changes something inside of me. Or for me to become a more generous person or more forgiving. So if your version of Christianity really feels like moralism or behaviorism or political whatever, then it's not Christianity. Christianity is about supernatural change and supernatural realities that we believe somehow invade our beings. That sounds kind of weird, like an alien thing. But we believe in the Holy Spirit that comes and changes inside of us when we give him access. And that's what spiritual disciplines do. We give access to the supernatural power inside of our lives. All right. So now, to talk about prayer today, what I, I want to address today the issue of prayer that I think we all struggle with. At least I do. I'll put my hand up and say I do. And that is, does prayer really any change? Does it ever change anything? Because isn't God going to do what he wants to do? So why should I pray about my finances? Why should I pray about my future? Why do I pray about my marriage? Why do I pray about my son or daughter who's not following God, but I want to see change? Why do I pray about my health? Because I've been there and done that, and nothing changed. I think we have more stories like that than we do of the stories of, you know, the, the big stories where drama happens. But... But yet we all believe prayer matters. So I think part of the challenge that most of us, myself included, face is not, yeah, you know, I can I can make a habit of praying, I can find the habit. But sometimes it's the motivation of will it make any difference? Like, why do it if it makes no difference? It's kind of like you know, certain kind of diets you might have tried or working out. If it doesn't make any difference, then stop. It's not working. But then, so what happens with prayer? So to do that, I'm gonna, we're going to look at just four different kind of vignette stories from the Bible where it's obvious that prayers, conversations with God, changed something. And you might say, wait, but there's examples where people pray and things don't ha-. That's true, but let's talk about the situations where prayer seems to have some significant effect on the order and, the, and their outcome of events. And if the Bible's true, then those stories are there to help us understand our prayers do make a difference. And somehow, when we pray, it does. Act, God does act in a certain way. There's actually a... Uh, you might be familiar with the name John Wesley, kind of the founder of Methodism and Wesleyan. One of his quotes one time was, nothing happens on earth except through God's people and their prayers. In other words the course of history is dependent on the prayers of God's people. And you might say, well, no, but God does what he wants, and he has a plan. But what if God's plan, as we understand the Bible, is that he's put the destiny of the human race into the hands of his people, which is what the Bible really teaches, that he relies on us to pray for and to look for and to work for things that he's going to do in the world and in our lives and in our marriages. So it does matter. So let's just start. We're going to go through four different... Two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament, and with each of these, I'm just going to have a short phrase on the screen from that particular story that could simply be for you a real simple one-line prayer that maybe you can practice sometime this week. One of these may stick out, because sometimes I think we think, well, I've got to figure out what do I do, I say when I pray? Sometimes prayers can be just just in, in a moment of a thought where you in converse, converse with God and Instead of trying to figure out your whole plan curriculum for the next 10 years of your life, maybe there's just some conversational things you can start in in normal conversation with God, which is what prayers are, all right? So Genesis 18, here's the situation. There's a city called Sodom and Gomorrah that we all know historically and even just, you know, anecdotally in our culture, it it was a wicked city. God said it was a wicked city. And, and God's having this conversation with Abraham. And again, you might think, what does that look like? He, no, he wasn't standing there, but it's no different than the kind of this interaction. You might feel like you're having these thoughts or ideas and God's putting a prompting in your spirit and that's a conversation with God. So we don't don't imagine these Bible stories as being this big dramatic where there was a fire in front of Abraham. Abraham was just having a conversation with God. We don't know how it looked, but no different than what you and I could have. And God says, i God basically is saying the city's wicked. I'm, basically, I'm planning on destroying it. And Abraham says, Well, what, wait. If, it's, if it's okay, let me speak. Kind of like when you see military, permission to speak, sir. And he says, "What?" But God, what if you found 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Would you destroy it then? Because what about those 50? And God's like, Okay, for 50 people, if I find 50 righteous, good people, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham says, and I, I, I really I, I like the kind of going well uh, permission to speak again God what if there's only 45 God's like yeah for, if I only find only 45 I won't destroy it and Abraham goes on to 40 well what about 40 God's like no I won't destroy it if I find 40 then the gamer goes to 30 what about 30 what about 20 God what if you only find 10 righteous people so is God changing his mind? Or did God always think 10 and was hoping Abraham would get there? Or is God just playing along with the game even though he knows what he's going to do? Well, when you read the account in Genesis 18, it seems pretty clear that Abraham's conversation with God alters the way God was going to act. And again, there's all kinds of different reasons people might say otherwise. No, God was always going to do 10 anyway. Well, was God just playing with Abraham? That's kind of a cruel kind of God. Did God just not know what he's gonna do? Did it not matter to God? No, there's something about Abraham's God, let me speak about can I ask you one more time? What if there's only ten people? What if is there something going on there? And are there ways where we might speak to God about a certain situation where God might alter based on what we his people are asking him to do? And Abraham wasn't asking for he wasn't being selfish. He didn't know he, had a, you know he had a nephew that lived there, Lot. But he, he, he knew Lot in that case, in that situation, was a righteous man. He would be one that God would save. But is there anything right now that you would say to God? Let me speak about something, God, that I, I want to see you do in this person's life in this situation. And you may not say, you know, "Let me speak," but that's kind of the sense. God, can I, have your, can I ask about one thing? God, can you change this situation? And again, we have this thought of, which is true, God is sovereign, which means, in essence, God will do what he wants to do. He's the king. But what if, as I believe the Bible teaches, in God's sovereignty, he's given us authority over our lives and over the lives of the people around us because God's given us the earth to bring back to what he wanted it to be. What if in in his sovereignty he's given us the freedom and the authority to ask him things? So that's one. Abraham, he prays, let me speak, and God changes. Next one. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Chronicles, oh, that's uh, in the earlier part of the Old Testament, or middle part of the Old Testament. And uh, if nothing else, Jehoshaphat's just a fun name to say. So that's why I picked this one, not really. But Jehoshaphat was the king, all right? He, Jehoshaphat finds out, he's the king of God's people in Judah. He finds out there's this massive army lining up against them not far away from where they were. Massive army. Like no chance no human chance for victory. None. It was like this many people against this many people. And Jehoshaphat finds this out the first thing he does is he calls the people to pray. And even says the king got down in his face before God and he prayed and, and there's a part of his prayer that is one of my on this particular prayer I love this line because he prays all these things about, God, you know what's happening. You know what's amassed against us. You know we can't, we can't beat them with what we have. And then he says, we don't know what to do, but we're asking you. Please tell me that you've felt that way before with God, because I have. And I've actually, I've actually turned it into prayer times. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know what to do. So I'm asking you what to do. I don't know what situation you're facing, whether it's future, financial, relational, whatever. And maybe your prayer simply is, I don't know what to do. I'm asking you, God. I'm asking. Because you can't just stop at I don't know what to do. That's resignation. I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do, God. God honors those kind of prayers. So maybe your prayer this week is simply, I don't know what to do. And in this particular case, what happened was, for some reason, God told them, which God often does weird things like this, the, the choir was to lead the army into battle. So if you're a choir member, you're like, whoa, wait, wait, what is this? I mean, my robe will get dirty. All right, all right. The choir, and again, when you ask God, I don't know what to do, his solution may stretch you. It probably will stretch you and what makes common sense. The choir leads the way out, and they sing, they're singing some version of the Lord is good, his love endures forever. The Lord is good, and love endures forever. And it says the moment they started singing, God sent the enemy into this weird kind of panic, and they, they were, there were different, three different countries in this big army against them, and they started fighting each other. The, but the Bible says the moment the choir began to sing and praise and worship, this horde started fighting each other and they killed each other. Battle over. Judah didn't have to raise a spear. Would that have happened had they not prayed? Had, had Jehoshaphat not said to God, I don't know what to do? And God gives them, here's the next step put the choir in front of the band. Or not the band, choir in front of the army. The band could fight, too, but they'd have to use guitars and stuff. I don't know. The band was exempt, maybe. I don't know. Maybe the band is like, we're not going. We can't carry our guitars. I don't know. But you read that story. Either the story is true or it's make-believe. And if it's make-believe, throw out the Bible. But if it's true, there's something God honors about people who, in desperation, they fasted. They put their faces to the ground, and the king says in front of the people, we don't know what to do. Kings aren't supposed to say that. That's an admission of vulnerability in front of his people. They're supposed to be confident people They said, no, we don't know what to do. God tells them what to do. Something changes. They win a battle without raising a sword. So either it's true or it's not true. If it's true, and I believe it, if it's true, then somehow our prayers do change something of what we're asking for. Next one. Back, they were in the New Testament. Bartimaeus, blind man. Um... Probably, and I say this about too many things, this probably is m- one of my favorite New Testament stories. Well, one of my favorite New Testament stories in Mark chapter 10, actually, maybe, I don't know. And Bartimaeus is a blind man, and he's along, he's on the road, and in those days, if you were blind, there was no social service, nothing, nobody translating things into Braille for you. It was a horrible life of begging. It was awful. Desperate, lonely Um, even separated from God's people because they felt like the blindness was some kind of curse. So Barnabas somehow knows that Jesus is coming down the road, and he's heard of this guy, Jesus. He's heard of some things he's done. And he cries out at the top of his voice. It actually is at the top of his voice, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Probably louder than that, but I'm going to save a little bit of my volume here. Because he, he only could get Jesus' attention is if he yelled. Because he, he, he knew there was a crowd coming, and he knew heard people say that Jesus was coming, but he just yelled, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. And the people around him even said, Barnabas shut up, you're bothering him. You're bothering him. And it said he didn't care. He even yelled louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe this is your one-line prayer. Maybe there's an issue in your life that you need healing. And all you need is the mercy of Jesus in your life. You need something radically changed in your own character that you know is keeping you shackled. And maybe you or me, like Bartimaeus, need to forget about pleasantries and polite ways of approaching God and just be desperate before God. says so Jesus walked over to Bartimaeus well, actually, it said Jesus called him. And then the people who told him to shut up said, Bartima, Bartimaeus, Jesus is calling you. Like they changed their tone because now Jesus is coming. And Jesus leans over and looks at Bartimaeus. And he asks the question, which some people might say, I thought at first reading it's kind of a dumb question. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Well, and it's like, well, Jesus, he's blind. Did you not notice that? Of course Jesus knows. He's not, he's not embarrassing him. But he wants Bartimaeus to verbalize his need just like he wants us to verbalize his need and Bartimaeus says Lord I want to see and it says Jesus touched him which again you don't touch blind people in the religious culture of Jesus day Jesus touched him and Bartimaeus sees well would would he have seen would his life have been transformed by having sight now had he not prayed the prayer and not only, Lord, have mercy, but he was willing to state his need before. This is what I want. I want. I want this change in my life. I want to see. So maybe your prayer is simply, Lord, have mercy. And maybe you need to get over the pleasantries and polite approaches we've all been taught about how to speak to God, when it's like some of the most significant prayers in the Bible that are answered, it tells us over and over and over again that people cried out to God. And when, they, when, the, when the, the, the biblical word of crying out to God is crying out to God. It has is no social norms. You just let it out there because you're desperate for God to do work in your life. So maybe your prayer, maybe your one-line prayer that you can, as a habit this week, would take you maybe 30 seconds in your car, maybe 15. Lord, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And you say, I'm going to stop Stretching the truth when I tell people what happened in situations. I don't know why I keep doing that, God. Or I want to stop losing my temper in these situations. I don't know why I keep doing that. Or I want to, I want, God, I want to be more generous with my money and I can't figure out why I'm so tight fisted. So you have to really ask then yourself the question if Jesus were to say to you, What do you want me to do for you? You have to know what you'd say because you cry out, Lord, have mercy. He wants to know what you're asking for. But that's, that's prayer, and that somehow that changed something. I don't think Bartimaeus would have been, well, we don't know, but if he had just sat there the whole time while the crowd walked away and he was quietly hoping for Jesus to do something, we don't know that he'd have been healed. So prayer changed something. Next one. This is in Acts chapter 4. Um, there's a section or the story where Peter and John are going to the temple to pray, and they pass a lame man, a guy who can't walk, and they heal him. He's begging for money, but they say, "We don't have any money, but we do have. We have for you in the name of Jesus to get up and walk." And that, that's not the prayer I'm talking about here, though. So Peter and John heal this man. He starts dancing and leaping around, drawing attention, and the religious authorities, the Pharisees, get a little ticked off. Like, "Wait a minute, you can't do." And they were, they were not mad that they healed this man. They were mad that they healed this man in the name of Jesus, who these guys had just had crucified months earlier. So they weren't mad at the good work they did. They were mad that it was in the name of Jesus. Just a side comment here. It's okay to do good things in our culture today as long as you don't mention Jesus. You start doing things in the name of Jesus, people get a little bit up in arms. Don't ever be embarrassed about doing things in the name of Jesus. Don't ever water down good works for the sake of good works. We do things through the power of Jesus inside of us, and we should never, we're not doing it because we're good, moral, or even Christian people. We do it because the Spirit of Jesus led us to do it or empowered us to do it. So don't ever be ashamed or apologize for the name of Jesus. They didn't, and they're put on trial. Peter and James are put on trial. Peter and John are put on trial, and they're asking, them. they're mad at them, and they're imprisoned overnight. They were beaten for doing this, and then they were released, and they were told by the Pharisees, don't ever preach in that man's name again. Well, of course, they disobey that. That's okay. They go back to the house where the believers were, and they had had a traumatic experience. They didn't organize a protest on city hall. They didn't start a petitionary campaign to oust the religious leaders. They had this massive prayer meeting, and part of the prayer of the church—it wasn't just Peter and John. It was the, 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 the church at that time, which I've only numbered a hundred people or so, maybe a few more. One of the one of their prayers was, "God, give us boldness." to teach people about Jesus. Peter and John are recovering from wounds from just doing that. And they're part of this prayer saying, give us boldness. And then what the the book of Acts tells us happened next, the building they were praying in shook. Okay, and that's where, again, it's a weird meter thing. Either it happened as the Bible tells us it did, or it didn't. But somehow their prayers not only moved God, but it moved God to move the building. Maybe as some kind of affirmation. We don't know. I don't know. But something, in re- somehow God in response to their prayers. And then it said the next sentence, and they all went out and preached the name of Jesus boldly. And the book of Acts is a testament to the fact that they had boldness that was irrational to talk to people about Jesus. So had they not prayed for boldness, would God have not given them boldness? I don't know. But we do know since they prayed for boldness, God gave them boldness. I don't think God was going to give it to them. I was going to give it to you guys anyway, but thanks for praying. I think that somehow we don't, none of us would verbalize it that way, but I think sometimes we might think, well, if God's going to do that anyway, then it's kind of a pain to organize a prayer meeting and we're kind of yelling too loud. The neighbors might give. I, I don't know. But it, somehow that activity not only shook the building, it shook the world. Because they prayed. Now I'm going to do one other story. It's not on here. I'm I debating whether to do it, but I think I'm going to do one other one. It's in Acts 12. So just look at this slide in the vision that says Acts 12. All right? Uh, or you can even put a blank slide up there. But this is because this is where I think some of you might be thinking now. All right? So Acts chapter 12, Peter is in prison for the same kind of stuff, preaching in the name of Jesus. It says the church prayed earnestly for Peter. And then that night, as Peter's sleeping, an angel visits him in prison. The prison doors fall open before him all. And he shows up at the house where they are praying earnestly for Peter. It's kind of funny, actually, because the woman who heard Peter's voice was so excited she heard Peter, she ran back and told people it's Peter, but didn't open the door. That's why I think the Bible's kind of funny. God's kind of funny where he gives us that detail. And Peter's just standing there like, well, can you open the door? You know. But supernaturally, Peter is released from what could have been certain death. And what I didn't tell you is the chapter 12 starts off with Herod arresting James and beheading him. James, the brother of John. Then it said, because he saw that it pleased the Jewish people so much. He then arrested Peter, likely with the same intent. The church prayed earnestly for Peter. He was released supernaturally. So now put yourself in John's shoes right now. John is the brother of James. John would have been part of the prayer meeting for Peter. What's John thinking? Oh, God, why didn't you send an angel to release my brother? I mean, He's dead. I mean, I'm grateful that you saved Peter, God, and and we're not told the church whether the church prayed or not for James's release, and you don't want to make this conclusion. Well, so they didn't pray, he lost his head. We don't know that. Sometimes though, even our best prayers, God may not answer the way we want. So if I'm not making it sound like it's some kind of fairy tale put your spiritual coin in the candy machine, pull the lever, and you will always get what you want. Because James was beheaded, the next story, the same result was in play, and the church prayed earnestly, and Peter was released from prison. We don't know why God didn't answer those. We have to assume they probably prayed for James, too. The whole church up at that point was praying about everything. So why Peter and not James, we don't know. We don't know. So you may have been praying for something, and if you're like me, you pray for it and it didn't happen, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe I, why bother? And that happens two or three times in your prayer life, whether it's praying for something in your family or for financial something, a new job, health issue, and you keep getting these, the outcome isn't matching what you thought was supposed to happen. It's understandable that you might think, Maybe I should stop praying about these things. I don't think it matters anyway. It just gets my hopes up and then phew, nothing happens. And I'd say, you know what? I understand that. I think Jesus even understands that. He prayed for plan B in Gethsemane. And he, he was sent to crucifixion anyway. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are many, many situations where people have prayed in the Bible and something somehow God changed and acted in a way that he may not have acted otherwise. So if nothing else, my hope for today is to simply give you and me motivation to begin a habit of prayer again, or to pray for things. Even these one-line prayers, God, give me boldness, God, have mercy on me, or God, can I speak to you about this situation, or I don't know what to do, show me what to do. Maybe this week, just find a bite-sized phrase. Another phrase I use a lot is, Jesus, pour out your spirit. If I don't know how to pray for somebody, let's say if I'm going to pray for Melvin, if I'm going to say, Jesus, pour out your spirit on Melvin. I don't know what Melvin needs, but I'm sure the Holy Spirit does. And would does something happen in Melvin's life that wouldn't happen have I not prayed? I think so. I think something changes because we're asking God who's given us the authority over the earth. And if we're asking God, then I believe something's going to happen. So I don't know what you've stopped praying about. I could probably tell you things I've stopped praying about because I decided I'm not going to happen. And I've been challenged even this week in thinking about this. Okay, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give in to resignation. I'm not going to give in to apathy. I do believe that when I pray, God hears me and God responds. He's not a candy machine. He has better intentions than what I believe. He's always good. So, and then we'll, I'll finish this, this last passage here from James Chapter five. This is the New Testament. It's actually referring to an Old Testament story um, where Elijah prayed. And I want you to read this out loud with me because there's a part in here that I really like. Just, so out loud with me. Here we go. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are. One more time, that same line. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. So Elijah, was an Old Testament story. He actually prayed that God would withhold rain as judgment on this certain land that was just totally pagan and godless. And then he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. And the Bible tells us he was as human as we are. He's not a super saint. So if you think, well, that was those people in the Bible. These were all like all-stars. So when they prayed, of course God listened. None of them were all stars till they had the prayer stories happen to them. They were all ordinary knuckleheads like you and me, who had their own share of failures and failings, and then there's something where they just were confident that God wanted them to pray for something, and it happened. It changed the course of history of various events. So again, I'm, I'm simply challenging us all. Start up a habit of prayer or restart a habit of prayer or re-energize a habit of prayer, even if it's just short one-liners in your car, even if it's just short one-liners when you're laying awake in bed. I i have had those where I've just said and whisper I've actually whispered out loud because I want to hear myself say, Jesus, I don't know what to do in this situation. Or Jesus, I'm afraid. Or Jesus, pour out your spirit on this person because I don't know how else to pray for them. You don't need to have a whole big long prayer sheet. Sometimes one-liners are some of the greatest prayers of the Scripture. And maybe that's where you start. So, um, let's pray. Jesus, you gave us all kinds of ways in which you prayed. And you even gave the disciples a model for prayer in the Lord's Prayer. But everything you said, Jesus, seemed to model for us the reality that you're not deaf to our prayers. And even the book of Hebrews tells us that because of your death and resurrection, you open up this new and living way, even a, a, a more direct relational connection with the God of all the world, all the universe, and that we can ask and you respond. And so, Jesus, we're grateful that you opened up this new pathway for us, that even a, that would have greater effect and greater power because of your death and resurrection because your spirit is now in us and even then your spirit gives us promptings of how to pray. So, God, for those here who have maybe hope, been hopeless about prayer or maybe disappointed one too many times about things they're praying for, God, would you re-energize their confidence In you and your goodness and would you re-energize them to some kind of practical habit this week even if it's small one-line prayers and for all of us um, increase our faith when we see the things that happen in the bible we know they're not fairy tales we know that's how the world is designed to work through people who are open to whatever you want to do in their lives for supernatural reality to bring change and hope and peace and goodness to the world around them, and to bring ultimately the world revolution that Jesus came to bring. And that's the revolution of the goodness of God and the love of God for all people. We want to be the people that bring that revolution into our worlds. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we finish every week with.